But it's sad, isn't it, when we see people, sometimes within our own family circle, people at work, people we have connections with, and when we see others, perhaps in the media, who know nothing of God's grace, at least in a conscious sense. We all, we all know God's grace is a part of His creation, but in a personal way. And one person who surely is on our minds, who has displayed a lack of knowledge of that, is His Royal Highness Prince Henry of Wales. What a poor soul that man is, and his wife. And I do hope and pray that you will be remembering them in your prayers, for they need to know God's grace and mercy. And even if we haven't bought the book yet, you're not one of the umpteen hundreds of thousands who bought the book during the week. In fact, I believe over a million, actually. If you're not one of them, then at least you'll probably have picked up enough in what's in the media to see someone presenting and, and, and when I say acting out, I don't mean he's putting it on, but bringing out some of the angst and frustrations and resentment that he feels and has known in his life. For any young boy to lose, lose his mum at the age he was and in the way that it took place, obviously would have a devastating effect. To, yes, I'm afraid to say, our present king, to know that your father was an adulterer and was involved in things like that cannot be easy. Who would want to be in the public light in the way that he and his brother and other members of the royal family have been in? Many of us will have questions about that. But one of the things obviously has come out too is that not only has he all these angst, not only did he unfortunately turn to drugs to try to deal with them, and any of us who have ever dealt with people who have smoked hash or taken magic mushrooms or anything else, and even in a recreational context, will know that they have a serious effect on your psyche. They cause paranoia. I've dealt, and perhaps others as ministers over the years have dealt with people, and it causes paranoia. Even years after you've stopped taking the stuff, it damages the wiring in your brain. And some of us, unfortunately, know family members whose wiring has been disastrously damaged by the turning towards drugs or towards excess alcohol. And so as the poor fellow has opened up and perhaps shared with us things that we didn't really need to know, including what happened behind a pub, behind a garden wall, and all the rest of it, as we've heard all these things, even the things I've read from psychologists and others, people who are not Christians, but people who are involved in that ministry, they all say that he's a deeply troubled soul. And of course, one of the things that particularly seems to have annoyed him, no doubt fed, I have to say, by his wife, is that he is, of course, the spare and not the heir. He's not Prince William. And whether it's to do with the size of the room or the status of his children or anything else, that obviously has caused trouble, as I say, not just with him, but with Meghan. None of us, of course, by nature, like to play second fiddle to someone else. It goes against the grain. And for many people, although it's clothed in, let's say, a degree of respectfulness and, and no a knowledge of how to behave, including the fact that we don't go out in public and tell everybody the dirty linen that's the washing that's in our own families, nonetheless, we all can struggle with many similar issues. 
And that's why he and all of humanity needs to know God's grace. And to recognize, as we come to know God, that in a right sense, there is a pecking order. That we're not the king of the castle or a prince of the realm. We're not ultimately the boss and the person who has all authority and power over our lives. And sometimes things happen to us to cause us to remember that we're not those very things that actually there is only one who's the king of the castle, who's the boss, who has all authority and power, and that one is not another mortal being, but Jesus Christ. And that's why the writer to the book of Hebrews starts with reminding us, reminding the church in the past, and reminding the world today, as indeed the world of the Roman era, that there is a Lord. There is the King of Kings. There is the one who is mighty and majestic. There is the one who is sovereign over all things. God's final word in his son. In the past, we read, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, who we appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Here we mentioned last week when we were introducing this substantial letter of the New Testament, there's not the usual greetings, there's not the usual welcome or anything else, and that, of course, we mentioned that. We don't know who the author is, we can only surmise, we can think of the context, the latter part, not the very end of the first century, but certainly the latter part, the next generation of church leaders, the generation of Timothy and his contemporaries. There's a whole host of things we mentioned last week, but at the end of the day, it's actually good that there's no introduction in the traditional sense. Because this letter, probably more like a lecture to be passed around the churches rather than a personal letter to a particular fellowship, it's meant and it causes us from day one to focus on Jesus and actually is meant to silence us and meant to cause us to shut up and to stop going on about ourselves or about the world or about the cost of the gas or about pay rises, or whatever it may be. It's meant to strip away and to cause all these things to disappear, a bit like the mist in the morning and the sun rises, even at this time of year, or the frost in the car, and the sun begins to rise, and it begins to disappear. So the Son of God, whose glory we're told, is that he reveals the radiance of God's glory and is the exact representation of his being that so that when the Son of God appears, when we see, even through a glass darkly, we see with the eyes of faith Jesus, everything else, including the angst and frustration and pain and disappointments of life, everything else falls back and gets into the right order.
and is meant to cause us to be quiet. Prince Harry seemingly could write another book with more things that he could say. Perhaps that's not wise. There's a time to be silent and a time to be still and a time to reflect on this. God speaks. Even that stands out and should. I know we, we, we know that and, in a sense and presume most of us certainly, certainly here do and it may be online that you're discovering that God speaks. This is not some distant deity who has set things up and then disappears off. This is not like the god Baal. Remember when the prophets of Baal shouted out and, and Elijah, remember, said, well, look to the story. Was it last year? Looked at the story again and said, well, perhaps your god's gone to the toilet or perhaps he's having a meal or perhaps he's having a sleep or, or he's away off to a far country and doesn't he hear you? This is not this kind of god. This is the Almighty One. The vastness of the universe, we're told, has been made through this God who in Jesus Christ has brought forth everything that exists. That hopefully reminds us of these opening verses in the book of John, John's Gospel. And those well-known verses, in the beginning was the Word. And John quite deliberately mimics the Genesis 1 story. So he, he causes us to look back to the dawn of time as we know it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it goes on to say, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. This is not a prophet like the prophet Muhammad. This is not some alter ego personality that appears from some, some cow or a bit of cattle or a, or a sheep or something else, some animal that somehow improved and becomes a deity. This is the eternal God, the creator of all things. And he speaks. Let there be light. What happened? There was light. Paul, reflecting on the same thing, so John, and John's gospel. And let me just pause for me and say, I struggle with taking all that in. I'm not that bright a guy. I'm not going to tell you that. If you'd seen me doing my old grade friends, you would know I'm not very good. <laughs> and my maths. So I struggle with taking all this in and struggle to explain it all. So if you're struggling, don't you worry, friends. You're in good company because most of us probably are like that. But listen to what Paul says about the same thing, writing in Colossians 1 and verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is a big story and a big reality. That babe of Bethel, no wonder the wise men and the shepherds came. No wonder we're told that Mary pondered deeply all that she saw and heard. No wonder Simeon sang that song of praise, giving thanks to God that he had been spared in order to see God's salvation brought and delivered into the world. The Anna, that old lady who had lived her life in worship and praise, rejoiced that even in her day, God's word had been revealed. What has that word done? Well, as we already heard from the other readings and from what the writer of Hebrews tells us, he provided purification for sins. And later on, towards the end of the section that we read, when the writer says, we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. The work of the cross. And just so we know, and I, don't, I know we don't often flip a bit over the place in the Bible, but just so you know, this is not just the writer to the Hebrews, but this is the biblical, the apostolic witness to the truth. Then these verses from the first letter of Peter, where he, Second First Peter 2, in verse 24, speaking about Jesus, says, and trust yourself to him who judges justly, to Christ who suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And then he goes on to say, for he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed for you were like sheep going astray but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You see, uniquely in Christianity, God has provided the way for men and women to have their sins forgiven and to be brought into fellowship with God. If you asked a Muslim, respectable man or woman as he or she might be, do they know their sins are forgiven? Do they know that they are in God's kingdom and that they will be saved? They will not be able to testify to that. If you asked a Hindu or a Buddhist, people from the Eastern world, it will all depend on, well, perhaps if I do enough sacrifices, if I live in a certain kind of way, if I follow the, their, their scriptures, their understanding, then perhaps some divine being being might allow me to get up the ladder a wee bit next time round and get that wee bit nearer to the mystery of the one that is unknown. That is not biblical Christianity. 
It stands unique and distinctively different. Remember, at school, Carmyle Primary School, many years ago, trying to illustrate that, and we, I even got a set of ladders in, and we had, we had folk going up certain steps and trying to describe different faiths. I'm not sure you'd be allowed to do that now, but this was back in the 1990s. And eventually, and they got up so far, but they could only get up so far. And then I made the point that we can only get up so far, but God came down. But because of that, we're told that Jesus is now in glory. He's been, he's at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And the last other reference for this morning, but that's important that we have this in our mind, the last reference is these verses from the book of Revelation. The apostle John, I stood in the cave where reputedly John was, and I've watched the sun rise over the Aegean Sea and coming into this cave and, and, and illuminating this cave where John was in the Lord's day when he had this vision, the brilliance of the light. And John 1, in verse 12, I turned and saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. I mentioned last week in the cathedral in Hungary, in Budapest. And when we went in and we visited many of these churches. And of course, sometimes there's all sorts of things hanging about the place and all the rest of it. But at least in this cathedral, what was above the altar? It was a picture in white marble think it was, of Christ and glory, a crown in his head, a sword in his hand, but his hand also reached out. That is who Jesus is. Not a prophet. He is a prophet, but not just a prophet. Not just a priest, although he is a priest. Not just a lawgiver, although he brings us the word of God. He is the exact representation of God. Jesus himself said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The prophet Muhammad never said that. The gurus of the Eastern religions never said that. But Jesus Christ said that. And to him should all the glory and the praise be given. And unless we acknowledge that, then we have no part in his people. We're moving on far more briefly. And the writer goes on to explain what that means. And he talks particularly how the Son is superior, particularly to the angels. And I'm not going to read again that section to the end of chapter 1. Not because it's not important, but because you can read it yourself when you get home. And he draws from the Old Testament scriptures to make clear the messianic scriptures again. The Old Testament um, I think it was Helen was mentioning 
about you, Ian, when you went to your charge and you started preaching and they asked, one woman challenged you, why are you preaching from the Old Testament? Because that God is dead. I still remember, and I've mentioned this before in Whiflet, we did a series of studies and a faithful lady who came to faith through a wee alpha course that we were running, but this wee faithful lady had brought her Bible and there was references from John's Gospel back to the Old Testament and she said to us, and this wee group, Isabel was there, I don't think I've got that bit in my Bible. No, she actually did. It was a BB Bible given to her son, but she'd never opened up the Old Testament. Well, my friends, that is vital. Prophets foretold him. Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration honored him. They had pointed towards him. That he is the one who laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the work of his hands. That he will roll creation up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed. But he remains the same. And his years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand. I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And that's important. The writer writing to people. There were all sorts of other deities going about. We are aware of the various temples dedicated to various deities in the ancient world. And there was also another form of spirituality which actually began to challenge the church, particularly towards the end of the first century and into the second century. Gnosticism, where there was the other. Does that ever ring a bell? People talk nowadays about the other. People will talk nowadays about spirituality and all the rest of it. There's an awareness that the material is not all that there is, that there is kingdoms and principalities, that you know we live in that spiritual domain. The same as we are sitting in church this morning and the air is full of people's, I hope none of our phones and signals getting passed about, but you know all that telecommunications is all round about us. So my friends, when you're sitting in church this morning, there's angels about us. And sometimes in miraculous and wonderful ways, people get glimpses of that other realm that we are encompassed by, surrounded by that spiritual reality. And as it was in the days of the book of Hebrews when it was written, so it is today. Whatever spirituality is on offer, and there's plenty on offer in the marketplace of life, and however much some people may be drawn to them, and they appear to work for them, and that's another story, they are all subject to the prince who is Jesus. And we need to remember that when we're engaged and increasingly we will come across people whose lives are blighted by all sorts of things. And they're sometimes because of folly and bad decisions and dear knows what else. But other times by other things that are beyond their control. Jesus is, whose name is power. Before him, demons will flee and human pride and power is laid low. And that's why as we draw to a conclusion, we have that warning. We must pay the most careful attention at the beginning of chapter 2, therefore to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through the angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received is just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? The salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and 
various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. You see, my friends, you can have a title. At the end of the day, that doesn't really matter. It's who you are, isn't it? You could be a prince of the realm and be a right bounder. And we know some who have been. You could be a minister or elder of the church. You could be in this position or that position. You could hold all sorts of status. But it's who you really are that counts. And the writer of the Hebrews tells us that God has vindicated and validated my son, the Mount of Transfiguration, at his baptism, and supremely by his resurrection and by his ascension. God the Father has vindicated the Son. This is my son. Remember the voice from heaven from Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration? Moses and Elijah I mentioned earlier. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. How do we know that God vindicated what took place on the cross? Because Jesus' bones are still not rotting in the tomb. And we see it testified by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church. Not just in Acts, but throughout the world. The very fact that you and I are sitting here this morning is a sign of God testifying to His Son by the work of the Spirit. And therefore, there's that solemn warning. We must Pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard and we do not drift away. You see, it's very easy, isn't it, to drift away as we come to a close. Very easy for the realities of life to press in and for the things I've mentioned at the beginning, the hassles and the problems. And some have very real problems. I'm not for one minute taking away the very real problems that Prince Harry and indeed no doubt others in his family have. And they need help. But my friends, it's only as the ministry of Jesus, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, brings peace into our lives that we can know God's healing and help. These words, remember, given and again through the word Apostle Paul, when he reminds us, inviting people to believe in Jesus. He says this, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and richly blesses all who call on him for Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It may be we've heard, maybe you've heard that message in the past. It may be that you've drifted from the church in the past for various reasons. You've got your angst, your frustrations. Maybe you had to play second fiddle to someone and you didn't like it. There's all sorts of things going on in your life and you think, how could I possibly believe in God? Well, God is speaking to you and saying, whatever you think, whatever you hear, just shut up for a minute and listen. Not to me, but to God's final word. And see him. For we see Jesus, who is made lower than the angels for a little while, 
now crowned with glory and honor. And when we see him, my friends, it's everything. It's all in all. It's the key not only to life here, but to life eternal. There's no sweeter name than the name of Jesus.